As a reminder, last week we considered how God's grace causes us or calls us to walk in unity together. For God has made a new and united humanity in Christ where we all have the same equal standing before God, the same access to the Father by the same Spirit. So we have to consider each and everyone who is in Christ as co-citizens of the kingdom of God. The world's ethnicities into God's kingdom, that inclusion of them was Paul's particular calling, his mission in life. And he was willing to suffer in order to see them brought into the glory of Christ. So with that, let's give our attention to the reading of God's word from Ephesians chapter 3, 1 through 13. For this reason, I, Paul, a prisoner for Christ, on behalf of you Gentiles, assuming that you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you, how the mystery was made known to me by revelation, as I have written briefly. When you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to the sons of men in other generations, as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. This mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. Of this gospel I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given me by the working of his power. To me, though I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for the ages in God who created all things, so that through the church the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. This was according to that eternal purpose that he realized in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him. So I ask you not to lose heart over what I am suffering for you, which is your glory. So far the reading of God's holy and infallible word, may the Holy Spirit now impress it upon our hearts. Well, loved ones, the opening of this passage, it's interesting because Paul, he starts off with a thought saying, for this reason, I bow before the Father, for this reason, but then he leaves that thought hanging. He leaves it hanging there. And if you look down at verse 14, the very next verse after the passage that we just read, he picks up that same thought, says there, for this reason I bow my knees before the Father. And so the majority of this passage that we're considering today, we can call it a holy tangent. It is holy because while Paul's mind might have wandered a bit here, and digressed while writing this, by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, this was no accidental tangent. This was on purpose. God intended this passage to be written for us, and there's an important message for us here today. What is it? What's this? Just as God purposed to manifest His glory through the suffering of Christ, so God will use our suffering to produce glory in us and glory for others. In other words, the gospel of Jesus Christ and his suffering shows us how God generally works in this world, how he is able to turn bad things 
into good things. That is a God to whom we belong. And to see this, we'll look at the passage in three different points. First, the messenger of the mystery. Secondly, the manifold wisdom of God. And thirdly, the Messiah of purpose. So first, the messenger of the mystery. Throughout this passage, Paul, he points to his own life and to his own ministry as an example of God's power which is made perfect in weakness, the weakness of Paul. It's interesting that Paul, he refers to himself a lot in this passage. Why does he do that? Well, Paul, he does not want the Ephesians to think that he, in, in his imprisonment, was suffering because of God's punishment. He did not want them to think that God had put him in prison and had dismissed him from his office as apostle. And worse than that, he doesn't want them to think that his imprisonment meant that King Jesus is not in full control of all things or that Jesus had failed him in some way. He does not want them to think that. And this is, in some ways, what John the Baptizer was wondering when he was in prison, right? We find that in Matthew's account where he says, that John, the baptizer, he sent word by his disciples while he was in prison and sent word to Jesus asking him, are you the one who is to come or should we look for another? He was wondering, are you really the Messiah or not? It's because John was confused. His experience of suffering didn't match up with his beliefs and expectations about the Messiah and the arrival of God's Kingdom. He believed that Jesus was the promised Messiah, yes. But he also expected that the Messiah would bring freedom and victory for God's people. And so he thought to himself, if Jesus is really the Messiah, then how come he doesn't free me from my imprisonment? How come he doesn't set me free and give me victory? You know, a lot of people today, even, who follow Jesus have this same confusion. It's hard for us to understand how obedience to God might in fact lead to suffering and adversity. It's counterintuitive. And so in times of difficulty, people often question their beliefs. Why is God doing this? Where is God? Etc. The other times, it has to do with straight up bad teaching, false teaching, the false gospel of prosperity, right? Where some preachers wrongly teach that financial blessing and physical well-being are always the will of God for us, and that faith and positive speech and donations to religious causes will increase your material wealth and secure health for you and your family. This is both false and dangerous, because according to that false teaching, if bad things happen to you in life, then you would logically conclude that God is cursing you. For what? For not having enough faith or for not giving enough money to the church. This is terrible and dangerous. And this is the kind of wrong thinking that Paul here wants to clear up. He wants to show the Ephesians that his imprisonment and suffering is not a sign of God's punishment, but of his power. Not a sign of God's abandonment, but of his presence with Paul. Not a sign of God's weakness, but a sign of his power at work through Paul, even in prison. That's why Paul here, he calls himself a prisoner for Christ. Prisoner for Christ, which could also be translated a prisoner of Christ. 
The idea is that he was in chains according to Jesus' will and purpose for him. Paul knew that there were no accidents in God's plan. He knew that suffering was part of his calling. In fact, when the Lord Jesus originally called Paul as an apostle there in Acts 9, according to Luke's account, we read what Jesus said about Paul, what he promised would happen for Paul. He said, Paul is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and children of Israel, for I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. Now, in case you're thinking that that's only the case for the Apostle Paul, think again. Believe in him, but also suffer for his sake. Engage in the same conflict that you saw I had, and now here, that I still have. You see, suffering for the sake of Jesus has been set before each and every one of us in the path of following our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. This is the way of the cross, the way of the Christian. So we see that Paul, he was, in no, he was under no illusion of a life of ease and earthly prosperity by following Jesus. He knew what was to be expected. He expected adversity. It's been said that nothing is more important than to learn how to maintain a life of purpose in the midst of painful diversity. So what kept Paul going in the midst of Painful adversity. How did he maintain a life of purpose? Well, as a messenger, God had entrusted to Paul the great privilege of administering his grace to the nations. And here, Paul he assumes that the Ephesians know about how God had given to him the stewardship of grace. And that term there in English, stewardship, refers to a servant who was put in charge of managing someone else's property and their dependents. And so, Paul's life purpose was to bring the good news of the gospel, all the benefits that Christ had won for the elect. Those are the property of the King Jesus. And also to take those to the nations, those who are dependent upon him for their glory. This was Paul's life purpose. The purpose is sustained in the midst of painful adversity. He was given the privilege to be God's special messenger of the mystery. And we saw this a couple weeks ago. Paul, he uses the word mystery to refer to God's plan to eventually include the Gentiles into his chosen people. To open up the doors and invite all of the nations in, including them into his covenant of grace. This was hinted at in different places in the Old Testament and the prophecies and promises of God but fully revealed and unfolded in the New Testament, the resurrection of Christ and the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. And so Paul now, he's given in this unique time in redemptive history, the privilege to go forth into the highways and byways, inviting all people to come and taste and see that the Lord is good by having faith in Jesus. You can think of it like this, Paul is kind of like a rebellious peasant who was especially chosen by a king in his realm to be his head chef. Just imagine that, a lowly peasant taken and chosen to be the head chef. And as head chef, this man has access to the finest ingredients from the king's very own garden to prepare, prepare meals. 
and by enemies of the king. And not only that, the king sends him out with this promise that this meal, this meal has the power to turn my enemies into loyal subjects, to turn foes into friends. And so Paul, he's sent out by King Jesus to the nations in each town, as it were, he sets out the table and lays before them the life-transforming meal of Jesus, the gospel of God. And Paul, he saw it as his great honor and pleasure to invite all to come and see and taste that the Lord is good. And he saw so many Gentiles come to faith and join the church. That is what sustained him through adversity. He had a glorious purpose, and he knew that he was the least deserving for this calling. He saw himself, as it were, like a rebellious peasant. Well, look at verse 8. That's where he says it. He says, to me... Though I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. We don't see Paul like that. The least of the saints, we'd often think of him as great, mighty Paul. But that's how he saw himself. Why? Why did he see himself in that way? Because he knew who he was before the grace of God reached him, and he never forgot it. At one time, Paul believed that Jesus was a blasphemous pretender. Not only that, Paul hated Christians and zealously persecuted them for believing in Jesus, persecuting them to death. So Paul was one of Jesus' worst enemies. And yet King Jesus chose him to be the messenger of his mystery, display of his rich grace. And all of this was to make God's plan known, his power known through the weakness of Paul. God's messenger to the nations, he was a walking testimony of what the Spirit of God can do with the worst of sinners. And Paul, he knew this. As he knew his former life, he could say to himself as he went out to the nations, well, if Jesus could save a wretch like me, then he can save the wicked Gentiles. I believe he can do it because he did it with me. And in that way, God humbled him, preparing him for his mission as a messenger to the nations with the gospel. But what was exactly the content of that message that he brought to them? And that brings us to our second point, the manifold wisdom of God. See, Paul was sent into the world in order to bring to light God's wise plan of salvation in Jesus. Verse 9, Paul says, this plan was previously kept hidden in God, who created all things. That's interesting. Why does he mention here that God created all things? Why does he refer to God as a creator? What does creation have to do with his plan to save the Gentiles? And Dr. Baugh, in his commentary, is right when he says this, that Paul here wished to accent that God as creator had never abandoned his compassion for the work of his hands. The multitude of the nations who had wandered off into a pagan world. In other words, the fact that God created the nations meant that he still hold wisdom of God. Manifold is not usually a word that we use typically day in and day out. The term means Joseph. And so, how it is unfolded and revealed and fulfilled in the New Testament, and you know, you know about the beautiful complexity of God's mission from Genesis to Revelation. How it all fits together. 
In fact, the more I study God's Word, the more I'm amazed at all the different facets, all the different ways and factors that God wove together in order to pull it off. Intensity in the right tempo to create a beautiful melody of His wisdom. The wisdom of God in redemptive history is like a giant multicolored tapestry. It's a manifold and magnificent wisdom of God that no human mind could have come up with and invented on their own. And that way it convinces me day after day as I study it of God's amazing grace, of his presence in this world, and that the Bible is indeed the word of death and resurrection of Christ. Or what he planned and how he would pull it off. And Paul found wisdom as the curtain rises there at the center of God's plan of redemption is his son, Jesus Christ, which gets us to our third point, the Messiah of purpose. Paul, we see here that God in the eternity of the world, before time and space, there in eternity past, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit came together and formed a plan. Each member, in brief, we we can see that the Father, he chose the elect, those that he would send the Son to save. And the Son, and so because of this eternal plan, the Son of God, he agreed to make it happen. He accepted the mission to take on our, our humanity. And he did this for the elect of God in order to suffer, one who suffered in our place to bring us to glory, which gives us boldness, access, and confidence, Paul says, before God, by simple faith in Jesus, just by believing us through the gospel, how God works. He wants the Ephesians to see that that same principle at work in the gospel applies to his case in prison. Just as Jesus suffered for your glory, so too, Paul is saying, I am suffering for your glory. In verse 13, Paul is basically saying, at the end of our passage, I'm glad to suffer in prison in order to see you and the nations redeemed and glorified for the gospel that I preach. This is how God works, turning suffering into glory, and the gospel itself, it proves it. See, Paul, he's giving us here a lesson on the theology of the cross, the cross into a good and glorious thing. Author Carl Truman, he writes this about the theology of the cross. Taken, this is good stuff. If the cross of Jesus, the most evil act in human history, can be in line with God's will and be the source of the decisive defeat of the very evil that caused it, then any other evil can also be subverted to the cause of good. More than that, if the death of Jesus person upon earth, Jesus Christ, have those who are united by following the crucified Messiah, he too would face adversity and suffering. So Paul, he's actually showing us here how his own ministry on behalf of the Gentiles reflects Christ's ministry. Like Jesus was glad to suffer for us, for our glory, so Paul was glad to suffer for the glory of the Gentiles. Again, we see the did it with his messenger Paul. and process the evil and the suffering that we face in life. It also gives us a worthy purpose to face that adversity, to keep going, to press on. And the purpose is the glory of others, to the glory of God. 
because God brings to others in Christ. And this is the life purpose that he set before each and every one of us in our Christian walk. This is our aim. It's fascinating that in 1939, the year 1939, the very same day that Winston Churchill was appointed as Prime Minister, Britain declared war against Nazi Germany. And as a great leader, Winston Churchill, he knew that the road ahead victory at all. You ask, what is our aim? I can answer in one word. It is victory. Victory at all costs. Victory in the spite of all terror. Victory however long and hard the road may be, for without victory there is no survival. What makes that speech so powerful and so commanding? I think a couple things. First, he's realistic. Right? He doesn't shy away from the truth that there would be great difficulty ahead of them. But secondly, he also puts before them a worthy aim. The goal was victory at all costs for the sake of humanity. The stakes were high and they needed to see and believe that their battle had purpose. And that's what Paul is showing us here, showing the Ephesians from this passage. He's realistic. Suffering, imprisonment, yes, even martyrdom was set before Paul, but he didn't lose heart because he had a worthy aim, a glorious goal. He says at the end of verse 13, my suffering is your glory. Paul knew that by belonging to Jesus, he was on the side of victory because he belonged to the risen Lord Jesus. The great tyranny of death has already been defeated and cannot forever hold us down. And Christ will return to rise, to raise us up again from the dead and glorify us in his presence. And because of that, he rejoiced in the privilege of participating in God's mission to the nations, even if that meant suffering. His heart was set on the glory that will far surpass all the suffering that we experience in this present evil age. And so yes, for us as well, the road ahead is dark, dangerous, but we need that same perspective. We need to see the life's difficulties before you through the lenses of the gospel to see them through the cross and resurrection of christ because through the gospel we see how god works with manifold wisdom the god who can turn pain into glory suffering into salvation sorrow into joy also loved ones of the application this passage should excite us it should animate us encourage us to participate in god's mission to go forth, like Paul, with this worthy aim before us, to see others, to find their hope of glory in Jesus. In fact, that's part of what my job is as a pastor, as a minister of the gospel, is to see each and every one of you glorified in Jesus, to be brought to that glory that Christ has won for you. What can I do about that? I'm a weak sinner. I have no power to do that. Just like Paul, what I can do is this, preach the gospel, give you Jesus, lay before you over and over again the king's life, transforming meals so you taste and see that the Lord is good and be transformed from one degree of glory to another until we all arrive before him glorified. And you can do that too with your loved ones and neighbors, bringing the gospel to them. 
But remember that the Son of God who is willing to suffer to bring you glory may be following his footsteps, willing to suffer in order to bring others to the glory that Christ has won for them. May that fill us with courage and joy to share the gospel with our neighbors for Christ. Thank you, Father, for the cross of Christ, his willingness to suffer hearts. If you did it with Paul, the least of the saints, as he called himself, then you can do it with us.